1: Tonight's reading is from the Old, Tes- Old Testament book of Genesis, Genesis 47:13 through 26. Now there was no food in all the land because the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. Joseph gathered all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan for the grain which they bought, and Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. When the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food, for why should we die in your presence? For our money is gone. Then Joseph said, Give up your livestock, and I will give you food for your livestock, since your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food, in exchange for the horses and the flocks and the herds and the donkeys. And he fed them food in exchange for all their livestock that year. When that year ended, they came to him the next year and said, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent and the cattle are my Lord's. There is nothing left for my Lord except our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land?' Buy us and our land for food, and we in our land will be slaves for Pharaoh. So give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. Every Egyptian sold his field because the famine was severe upon him. Thus the land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he removed them to the cities from one end of Egypt's border to the other. Only the land of the priests he did not buy, for the priests had an allotment from Pharaoh that they lived off of, the allotment which Pharaoh gave them. Therefore they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, today I have bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, that you may sow the land. At the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four fifths shall be your own. For the seed of the field and for the food of those of your households, as for the food of your little ones. So they said, you have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's slaves. Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, valid to this day. That Pharaoh should have the fifth. Only the land of the priests did not become Pharaoh's. This is the word of the Lord.
0: So many of you took the survey that talks about work, and this section of, of Scripture uh, talks about work, and it opens up a lot of questions uh, as topics are, are uh, brought up in this uh, series of um, Scripture verses that, that can be quite controversial, and, and we will address those in a moment. But tonight, I want you to think with me about work. It's, it's about a third of your life you spend doing something, Called work. And we do a, a, a not a good job of, of addressing that. We don't do a good job as a, as a people of integrating our faith and our work. And so the challenge for us is to realize that, that there is not a, a division between what we do from nine to five, if those are your hours and a division of our faith in God. There is something that has been brought up there, this dichotomy, a false dichotomy, that tells us they can't integrate. It was quite enlightening and interesting to read your responses to the survey. And and, and we're going to... uh, There are some threaded through the sermon tonight. We'll, We'll touch on those. But one of the things that I heard this week when I was at a conference on Thursday, I heard this quote. And this is what the man said. He said, Some people... They don't get much purpose from their work. Not because they expect too much and find themselves disappointed, but because they expect too little. And that made me think, what do you mean by that? Because that sounds like the opposite of what I was thinking just now, before you said that. And so he went on to talk about how there's this dichotomy that's been raised between faith and work, but he says that division that's there is not of God. It doesn't have to be there. And so many times we think the only time that we're being faithful to God at the workplace is when we're sharing Christ with someone at the, at the uh, water cooler. But there's much more to uh, living out your faith in your work than just sharing the gospel with people or praying for people or having Christ-centered conversations. And so there's a quote in the, uh, in the notes here that says, "'Does our work matter to God?' And does God matter to our work? And I'll answer the first part of that, and you'll have to answer the second part. But the first part is, our work does matter to God. But the second one is still up to you to decide. Does God matter to your work? Now, to set up where the Scripture led us tonight, a a brief history. I'll do my best to be fast here because most of you have heard this, but some of you haven't. So here we go. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers because they hated him. He was his father's favorite. And he had dreams from God, and his brothers hated him even more. So they uh, plotted to kill him, but they ended up selling him into slavery. Joseph rose in the ranks, only to be falsely accused and imprisoned. Then he rose in the ranks again. um, And 13 years after being in slavery, prison, and pain, he gets out of all of that and he is second in command over all of Egypt because God gave him power to interpret dreams for Pharaoh. One day, his brothers who sold him into slavery show up because there's a great famine, and they have to come to Egypt to get grain. They're the only place that has uh, grain, and it's because of the dreams that Joseph interpreted for Pharaoh. They had stored up grain in those seven years of prosperity. So his brothers show up, and they don't know it's Joseph. He plays a few games with them. And then he reveals himself to them and says, I'm your brother. And they said, oh, snap, we're dead. And uh, it was a beautiful reunion. And they go back and they bring Joseph's father back to Egypt. So all of Joseph's family ends up moving to Egypt. And Pharaoh, because of his relationship and his love for Joseph, blesses them, gives them the best of the land. says, don't even worry about bringing your stuff here. I'm going to give you the best of the best. Come here and we're going to take care of you. And so time has passed, and now there's uh, another wave of uh, depression has hit Egypt. And the Egyptians are now running out of food, and so they are coming to Pharaoh for help. How was that? That was pretty fast, right? If I left a few things out, you can go back and listen to those online. We covered them in depth in in, uh, previous weeks. So Joseph, and and we're talking about knowing God in our work today. And so Joseph, this is a very works um, passage of Scripture where he's just seemingly doing just mundane things and some things are shocking if we, if we just read it in, uh, in passing. But he was working for the glory of God and it's easy for us 3,700 years later to look back into this text and misinterpret what's going on here. And so it's, 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 it's wise for us to realize that what we're reading here happened a long time ago under different circumstances that were not New York City or wherever you may be from. Some questions, that, if we read through this for the first time, you may be asking, was Joseph taking advantage of people and their suffering? I mean, it sounds like he took advantage of them. You may be wondering, um, does God condone slavery? Because that just said, we're going to be your slaves. Was Joseph being selfish and manipulative? Well, I don't believe any of those things are true. I, I think we're going to see as we look that those are not answered with a yes, and so let's hit a couple of these highlights before we jump into the sermon outline. So if we jump back in with me to Romans, or Romans. Romans is a great book. But tonight we're in Genesis, Genesis chapter forty-seven, verses fifteen through seventeen. So when all the money was, or when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and they said, "Give us food, for why should we die in your presence? Our money is gone." Then Joseph said will give up your livestock, and I will give you food for your livestock since your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses and their flocks and the herds and the donkeys. And he fed them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. One of the things that I found out in studying this is that the government of Egypt and the government of what we know as the United States of America operate very differently. And it was not the government's responsibility in that day to take care of the people. There are certain things that we expect from our government. If there's a hurricane, we expect FEMA to show up and help out in some ways. And there are certain expectations that we have for them for the taxes that we pay, but that's not the way it worked then. So these people came to Joseph, who is the authority of Pharaoh in them, uh, for them, and he, he goes to them and he asks them, uh, we don't have any f- money, so, but, but we're starving, so we don't want to die. And so Joseph says, well, if you don't have food for yourself, you don't have food for these livestock either. And so he says, trade your livestock to us, we'll give you all the food that you need for the livestock, and uh, we'll take care of the livestock here. And so they traded, and so it was actually a merciful thing that he did for them. They, They paid for the food they needed. They were not obligated to do that, but they did it. And it also relieved the burden of having to pay those livestock, or feed those livestock with food that they didn't have. It was not only for the people's good, but it actually turned out to be good for the animals, too. So if you like animals, score one for you right there. There we go. I like animals, too. So, All right. Genesis 47, uh, 18 through 20. So Joseph wasn't taking advantage of them there. Now let's look at this. Now when that year ended, they came to him the next year and said to him, um, we will not hide from my Lord that our money's all spent. Remember, we already, uh, we've, we've spent all our money. And the cattle are now yours, And there's nothing left for us to give you. There's nothing left for my Lord except our bodies and our lands. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our lands? Buy us and our land for food, and we and our land will be slaves to Pharaoh. So give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. And every Egyptian sold his field, because the famine was severe upon them. Thus the land became Pharaoh's. You know, you read a short passage like this, and you're like, well, there was a famine. You just kind of glance over that. But if you entered into the, the circumstances that they were in, I was walking around earlier, before church, and I was hungry. And I was looking for something that I wanted to eat, but I, I just couldn't find anything that, that pleased my palate, you know, because I'm finicky. But I was walking around, and I ended up getting an apple, okay? And I'm like, this isn't going to fill me up. That's just an apple. So I'm eating the apple, and I get down to the very end, and I'm like, I am still hungry. I feel like I'm just eating air right here. And so I take, you know, every little bit of that apple I can get, right? I mean, there were just seeds left when I got done with it. But when I'm full, and I'm and I'm, I'm, I'm I don't need that nutrition. It's easy for me to throw part of that apple away, right? But when you're desperate for food, I I would have eaten the seeds if I were that desperate. You know, these people were in desperate, desperate times. And so they were coming to him and said, we are going to die if you don't do something. And this is all we have. All I have is, is just me. And so they had nothing left. And so they offered themselves to Pharaoh. They said, take care of us. Take care of us. Give us food. Give us what we need and then we will work for you. So this is not the horrible slavery where people are kidnapped from their land and forced to work under any conditions for someone else. This is not what that slavery is. This is like a, 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 an economic um, agreement that we are going to enter into this agreement, and then we belong to you, our lands belong to you, And what we produce, you're going to get 20%, which we'll see in these next verses. So the Bible doesn't condone the type of slavery that we know is, um, that is uh, uh, horrendous. This is different than that. Moving forward to verse 24. So in uh, chapter 47, verse 24, it says, At the harvest you shall give a fifth, which is 20%, to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own for the seed of the field and for the food and for those of your households that, uh, and as food for your little ones. So that, and they said, here's their response. You have what? Saved our lives. You've saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord and we will be Pharaoh's slaves. So they were not upset with this deal. They had gotten to the point where they had no options and so they said, this is an option we want. 20% is fair to us. Thank you, you saved our lives. They were desperate, no hope. death was on their doorstep. You know, 20 percent tax in exchange for you taking care of us is a good trade for them in their eyes. They're like, now it's going to be Pharaoh's responsibility to take care of them, because they belong to him. whereas other. Uh, Before that, they were not belonging to him. And so this is working under the protection and the provision of someone and expecting to pay them back through your labors. And I think 20% is less than what a lot of us pay in taxes today when we count about income taxes and uh, city taxes from living here, uh, metro taxes, cell phone taxes. Everything's taxed, right? So 20% might actually be a good deal for us, even if we think about that. So it wasn't that oppressive. So Joseph, going back to him, worked to do what was best for his boss. Did he make good deals? Yes. Remember, he worked for Pharaoh, so he was supposed to do a good job and do what was best for Pharaoh. He made him money. He made him very wealthy. But these people who came to him needed help, and he did what was best for them as well. He were, and if we remember, too, the only reason Joseph and Pharaoh were in a position to be of any help to them is because they listened to the dreams that God gave them. And they obeyed them. And because of that, God blessed them for their obedience in their work. Now, with that section of Scripture, talking about work, the little mundane things that Joseph did of of everyday business, how in the world can we get that God was at work with Joseph? Well, we'll, I'll do my best. Here we go. Uh, The number one on your list, if you want to fill in the blanks, goes like this. So, Knowing God in our work... The first thing we need to know is God created our work. The first thing about work to re- remember is that God actually created work. He started it. And when he started work as an idea, as an activity, it was a good thing. It was, a, it was not a, a bad thing. Uh, look with me in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. This is the story of creation at the very beginning. And it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were completed, and all their hosts By the seventh day, God completed his what? Work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all of his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. So God worked. He accomplished great things through his work. His work was the epitome of creativity. He created everything. The, what we see around us, not the, not the sickness, not the disease, not the, the death, not the sin, but, but what we see around us that is the good creation God has created. The sun, the moon, the stars, the mountains, the oceans. And the crowning achievement of our God was people, man and woman. And when he created them and he saw them, he said, this isn't good. This is very good. And for that very good creation of man and woman, he gave them an assignment called work. And we see that in Genesis chapter 2 verse 15. It reads this, "Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it." So he was there in the very beginning before the fall ever happened, before sin ever entered the world, there was work to be done, to cultivate and to keep this garden. That was the plan for mankind. It wasn't to be done alone. It was to be done in relationship with others as well. It started when, uh, with, with God creating a woman as a partner for a man. And among all the creation that God had created before Eve, the, the woman, there was none like man, no suitable partner. But then Eve came along. And when Adam saw Eve, he said, Now this is bone of my bone. And flesh of my flesh, my equal. These two were put together to work and tend the Garden of Eden, God's creation. Work was created by God. It wasn't created to be hard, stressful, and produce anxiety, which is part of the surveys we talked about. Uh, I think I alluded to that. If not, we're about to. But sin entered the world, and in the next chapter of Genesis, we get this information where sin entered the world, and work didn't just turn out to be bad, but our attitudes towards work became bad, and then work got a lot harder. In fact, after the sin that um, entered the world in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, this is what God spoke to to Adam. He said, verse 3, I don't have it in there? Okay, this is what he said, I forgot to put it in the slides. He said, cursed is the ground because of you. In toil, you will eat of it. All the days of your life, both thorns and thistles, it shall grow for you, and and you will eat the plants of the field. So, see, work has gotten substantially harder than pre-fall. And then he says this, by the sweat of your face, you will eat bread. Some of you may remember this as by the sweat of your brow. You ever heard that one? By the sweat of your brow, by the sweat of your face, you will eat bread until you return to the ground because from it you were taken, and from, uh, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. From the, uh, by the sweat of your brow is an ancient idiom, and um, it, it's a phrase that means that you're going to have stress and worry and anxiety. So that those stresses and worries and anxieties that all of us feel at some point through something is not something that God has given us, but it's a consequence of our rebellion against God. And so anxiety is part of the fall. But here's good news. There's peace that comes from God. There is peace that comes from Him. And so I'm, I want to just ask you, are you finding rest in, in the work that Jesus has done for you? Are you resting in the work that He has done for you? Or are you toiling on your own power to prove yourself? Are you working for something? Or are you working from something? Something? Are you holding on to control over your life? Or are you surrendering to the to the fact that like Pharaoh was the only one who had food, Jesus is the only one who has peace? Are you holding on and not surrendering to the lordship of, of Jesus and allowing him to govern you and to, to be your Lord? And so when we step out of God's plan, we will unnecessarily add difficulties into our lives. And and one of the ways that we can break through these barriers is through faith. The way we are activating God's peace in our life is through faith in God, and it activates this peace. Faith that God has created work, and the faith that God has a plan for it, that God has worked on my behalf, and I don't have to strive to become something. But in my work, I can be who I am. We'll talk about that more in a second, too. Here's a a quote from the survey. It says, um, it's talking about creating work. It says, I've learned that creating software is related to God creating everything. I've learned that creating software is related to God creating everything. And the way it's related is because creativity is from God. God. Any, any ideas that we think if we come up on our own, those are gifts from God. God has given us the ability to be creative. We are made in His image. And the question is, how are we using our creativity? Are we using it for His glory? Are we using it to get ahead for our own glory? So number one, God created work. It's all about Him. Number two, God uses our work. God uses our work. You may think that God doesn't use your work. But everything you do can bring honor to the Lord if you're doing it as an offering to Him and not for the praise of men. God uses our work. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 through 24, it reads this. It says, Whatever you do, do your work heartily, as for the Lord rather than for men. So do it with excellence, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. So you're telling me that the garbage man, when he picks up my garbage tomorrow morning, can be working to take my garbage away for the glory of the Lord? Absolutely. I am 100% saying that. If someone didn't come and take away the garbage from your house, then you would have a dirty house to live in. It is a good thing to have someone come and take care of the garbage. They help humans flourish in life. This is a God-honoring work to bring relief to a problem that we all have. There are other ways. Uh, software creation is, is another way to bring glory to the God and do it for the Lord. Teaching students, a lot of you are teachers, and changing their lives with knowledge and wisdom, and also the love and nurture that you give to them. The greatest, here's the survey. Here were the greatest challenges from your work. You four cal- four categories. Here they go. Number one, Personal anxieties was the top challenge at work. Number two, the inadequacies of management. I think like nine of you talked about that. (laughs) Are any of you in management? (laughs) I'm kidding. Um, number Number three, feeling overwhelmed. There's too much to do and too little time. Number four, the deficits of your colleagues when they don't miss their deadlines and they don't get their work done and they have inferior work that they turn in. Those are challenges that you face in your work. And, and we can't remove the human element from our work. It's there. We work with people somehow. Even if you work alone for the majority of the time, at some point the human element will be revealed in your work. And so one of the things you can, you can look at is, am, am I working, is what I am doing for the glory of God... Or am I doing it because I want the praise of whoever they are? Do I want the recognition from people? Or am I doing this for the glory of God? There's a a book called Every Good Endeavor. We have, I think, copies left downstairs, don't we? Yeah, we have some copies. So if you want this book, we will give you a copy tonight. I think we have enough for all of you who want one. If not, we'll get you one. Or Larry will buy you one. He just volunteered right here. So... In the book, Every Good Endeavor, he talked about several things, and I'm going to give you some bullets. He said, uh, this is by Tim Keller, he said, a a Christian view of work is that we work to serve others. We don't work to serve ourselves. He also uh, said that we can also have a thriving, professional, and balanced work life. That we can actually thrive and be balanced in our work life. It, It may not be possible in this season of life, but it is possible as a whole. He also said, excellence, integrity, discipline, creativity, and passion in the workplace all matter and are to be done as acts of worship, not just self interest. And then finally, he said, we are able to and called to serve God, get this, through the workplace. You're not just serving God here because. You're at church tonight, but you are able to serve God through your workplace. All can be done by the glory, or for the glory of the Lord. One of our teachers said this in, in the survey. She said, uh, or he said, he or she said, I try to be patient, love unconditionally, and treat little humans with kindness and respect, and also be humble. I like little humans. I need to be reminded sometimes that they're little humans. Um, but God uses this type of work. He uses it. So God created work, and He uses our work in all these different ways. And then finally, we're going to look at how God transforms. Number three, God transforms our work. So He created it, He uses it, and now He's going to transform it. Our work is not our identity, but a way to live out our identity. Our work is not our identity, but it's a way to live out our identity, we work from an identity of who we are. We don't work for our identity. And Jesus gives us a new identity. And that faith that we have through him transforms our work. Dorothy Sayers wrote an essay in 1942. It was published. It says, Why Work is the Name of the Essay. And I want to sum up her uh, essay. When you, you can read that. You can find it online for free. Uh, it's summed up in, with three points And and she says this, so if you want to write this down, you can too. She said, number one, work is a creative act. It's a creative act. And this is what she uh, expounds upon that. She says, that that work should, in fact, be thought of as a creative activity undertaken for the love of the work itself. Understand, I'm going to read that again. That work should, in fact, be thought of as a creative activity undertaken for the love of the work itself and that man made in God's image should make things as God makes them for the sake of doing well a thing that is worth doing well. You see, that's you doing an excellent job in your work brings glory to God. You striving to be the best at whatever it is you do from 9 to 5 or whatever time you work brings glory to God. It's not just a water cooler and sharing your faith and praying for someone. Those are great. Keep doing those as much as you can. But simply being the best employee or boss or whatever it is, entrepreneur brings glory to God. Number two, she said, work points towards our ultimate purpose. So ultimate purpose. Work points towards our ultimate purpose. And she expounds in this way, and I quote from her essay again. I asked that work should be looked upon not as a necessary drudgery to be undergone for the purpose of making money, but as a way of life in which the nature of man should find its proper exercise and delight and so fulfill itself to the glory of God. Your job is more than just making money. It's a way for you to live life and delight and fulfill your life to the glory of God. It points towards our ultimate purpose. And number three, she says very clearly, there is no distinction between sacred and secular. There's no distinction between the sacred and the secular. She said, In in nothing has the church so lost her hold on reality as her failure to understand and respect the secular vocation. She has allowed work and religion to become separate departments, and is astonished to find that, as a result, the secular work of the world is turned to purely selfish and destructive ends, and that the greater part of the world's intelligent workers have become irreligious, or at least uninterested in religion. But is it astonishing How can, this is how she closes it, how can anyone remain interested in a religion which seems to have no concern with nine tenths of his life? You know, one third of your life is spent at work, typically, but you're sleeping for a big portion of it. So she was saying about nine tenths of your life is spent work related. How can we say that, how can we be interested in a religion that doesn't speak anything into that? So there's no distinction between the sacred and the secular. So this is um, from your surveys, the encouraging part from your surveys that I was uh, encouraged by, to be redundant. Um, but many of you have seen God's presence in your life, and I want to share some of the ways that you have. Some of you said, I saw God's presence in my life through work, um, at work, through the conversations that I've had with coworkers about faith. I've seen God's presence in, in work but through serving others. Not just me, but also seeing others serve others. Number three, I've, I've seen God's presence through experiencing love towards others. Three of you said that you experienced God's presence through prayer at work that you're able to pray at work. And this is fantastic because some of you talked about privately praying um, uh, silently as, as you have difficulties arise and asking God for help. And that is fantastic. Every one of us should, should do that. When difficulties come, we should go to God in prayer. You can pray whenever and wherever knowing that God is actually caring in that moment about what you're doing. And if you really think that God is interested in what you're doing, it makes you want to engage Him in prayer more. Two of you said that you have not experienced God's presence in your workplace at all. And I want you to think of Joseph, who was going through a difficult situation where he was working for a man who was not a believer in God. He was living in a land that didn't honor the God of his fathers, the one true God, and he was working hard. The the weight of responsibility upon Joseph's shoulders, I would imagine, would would crush us at this point. People were coming to him all the time. We need food. We need food. And he's trying to balance this workload. But he experienced the presence of God in his work in this, quote-unquote, secular job. He used wisdom. He had integrity. We saw throughout his lifetime, he lived with integrity. And he realized that doing a good job is vital for his life, that it's part of his calling from God. And when you walk in wisdom and you walk in or live with wisdom and you walk with integrity, then you are doing a good job at your work and it is vital in experiencing God in your workplace. This was good from the survey. It said, Sometimes I feel like God shows me how He sees people. Like the fragile, tender, shocking beauty of the human soul. I think lately God has been showing me how He sees my coworkers. That's a way for us to engage our workplace around us and see God's presence and starting to see people the way God sees them. So, My final encouragement is this. Exercising our faith at work is not simply sharing your faith with people over coffee, which is great. I'm not saying you don't have to do that. Do that. But I am saying integrating faith and work means doing your work well. When you do your work well, you are glorifying God. The quality of your work is an important thing to exercise. And I'll close with uh, Dorothy's quote in one of my favorite, probably my favorite quote that I I had this week. It said, uh, she said, no crooked table legs or ill-fitting drawers ever, I dare swear, ever came out of the carpenter's shop at Nazareth. She's alluding to Jesus. She's saying, I guarantee you, when he built a table, he did it right. Because he did everything with excellence. Everything Jesus did was for the glory of God. And everything Jesus did was to serve you and me. The love of Jesus that he had for his father and the, the love that he had for us compelled him to thrive in his work. His excellent work is the reason that we have forgiveness. His excellent work is the reason that we have restoration with God. And now we are part of God's plan to bring restoration to the world, especially, especially through our work. This is more than telling someone, you need to live right and you need to come with me to church on Sunday. It's important for us to say this, work must be good work before we can call it God's work. Work must be good work before we can call it God's work, because when we do our work with excellence, we bring glory to God. Know this week that God is at work. He is with you. He's aware of what you're doing. He is at your work. Now you do the work of looking for him there so that you can start knowing God in your work. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that we are challenged tonight to see how you are at work around us. And I know for me, even as a, as a pastor, i found ways that, that I don't acknowledge You at, at my work. And, and so Lord, I just pray that, uh, that we would all have this uh, profound awakening to the fact that everything that we are doing is an opportunity for us to bring glory and credit and, and, and praise to You. And so Lord, I pray for, uh, for You to empower us in our work that we would see ways to, um, to bring glory to you, that you would give us a spirit of wanting to do whatever we do with excellence. And not so that people can praise us, but that so people would learn who you are and they would see how wonderful you are and then we can tell them about the work you have done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.